14 through 18. And this is what we read in that passage. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of God. Good morning. Good morning. Working okay? Well, good morning. My name is Eric, I'm so delighted to be here with you all this morning. Wanted to extend my personal greeting to all of you, whether you're here or virtual, especially if you are visiting with us this morning. Welcome to, to Redeemer. Thankful for the opportunity this morning as well to open up the word with you, as Pastor Mark just read. So we are in the mini-series in the first chapter in the book of John, as we're preparing our heart for Christmas. So this morning, I forgot my clicker. Is the clicker somewhere? Where's the clicker? Where's the clicker? Looking for the clicker. <laughs> there you go. Clicker's on. Click awesome. away. <laughs> clicker is on. All right. So this morning, uh, I, I wanted to really just share a couple, couple two main points with you this morning, I'd like to drive home on, on a couple of themes uh, from, from the passage that we just read. So this is, this is one I wanted to reflect with, with all of you this morning. Uh, first is the fact that God draws near to his people and that God pours overflowing grace to his people. So God draws near to his people and that God draws or pours overflowing, exceeding grace to his people. But before I do that, I wanted to open up with something that I learned pretty recently. So this is a guy named uh, Lao Tzu, so a name that you might be familiar with. So Lao Tzu is a, you know, was a Chinese philosopher, lived in 6 BC. He's a very smart and noble man. Uh, in fact, he was probably the, the, the key central figure in, in Chinese culture. So he wrote a book uh, called The Way and Its Power. Uh, so I did not read the book. Philosophy is not my thing. Uh, but as far as I could tell, one of his goal in, you know, in his thinking was really to find the way. You know, what is this, the way? Uh, so, so in his analysis, the way is really, you know, a defined perfection uh, that would give us, you know, humanity uh, a harmony, a balance. So you may have seen some of his analysis, if you're familiar with kind of the concept of yin and yang, you know, kind of like the circle with black and white, 
that's uh, that's really his his work there. That's his thinking. Uh, Taoism is 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 the 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 you know the ultimate kind of outcome of his thinking. Uh, so one of the conclusion also in his study, which which I found it very interesting, is is this reality that the defined perfection was, and I quote this: the defined perfection was at rest in open mystery, beyond silence, dissolution, in mysterious emptiness. So this is a quote from him. The word that can be uttered is not the defined word, but that word is silence. So in his analysis, the final answer was silence. So I was reflecting on, on, on this, this thought, and then it struck me how different it is, right, from the biblical narrative, especially in light of what we've been studying in this past, you know, three weeks or so. Because in the book of John, in chapter 1, what we read is anything but silence. So in John, we read that in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. So John goes even further. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark unpacked. Therefore, John, the word, logos, was not just a principle. It was not just a personification. But the word was a person, right? A defined person, Christ himself. And last week we saw that Christ came as a true light shining in the darkness, in our brokenness, in our hopelessness. So I was reflecting on this reality and then I can't help to think, you know, what an amazing season that we're celebrating. What a joyous season that the word was Christ. So from our reading this morning from John, we learn that John expanded on this remarkable idea. So John, starting in verse 14, telling us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So this is a very rich and bold statement here. So a couple things to unpack. So first of all, notice that John said, The word became flesh. So remember what we just said earlier that what John referred to as the word here is word was God, Christ himself. So what we see here, the picture that we get here is the word became flesh, God in the flesh. So my Spanish speaking friend would say God con carne. So con with carne is meat. 
So if you are a carnivore, you are likely to eat meat, right? Carne is the word for meat. So if you go to Chipotle after this service, you order carnitas, you would likely to get meat. Right? So God corn carne, God with us. So another word to describe this that you might be familiar is the word incarnation. So this is from Latin words. So in, the prefix in, and then the word caro is also flesh, and then there's kind of some fluff in the end. So incarnation. <laughs> so the idea here is incarnation is to make flesh. Or in the passive, we would say to be made flesh. So God made flesh. God became flesh. So we must ask the question, so why, why is this Christ becoming flesh? Why is incarnation such a big deal? Well, I can assure you that incarnation was not, the purpose of incarnation was not so that Christ could taste food, you know, Christ can walk or feel emotionally, feel happy and sad. I think there's some element to it, but that was not the main purpose of why Christ became flesh. So I would argue that the incarnation was, was really part of God's grand design for salvation for humankind. So in fact, incarnation is a key requirement, it's a prerequisite for the forgiveness of sin. So if you have your Bible, flip with me to Hebrew, Hebrew 9, chapter 9. So Hebrew chapter 9, filled with concept of redemption through the blood of Christ. It's very, very complicated chapter, you know, when the author of Hebrew explained to us Christ, the high priest, the temple, but then also the reality that Christ is needed for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrew chapter 9, verse 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So when the first human fell into sin, God can't just wipe away the sin. God can't just forgive and forget. Someone has got to pay for the penalty, for the violation. If God did not punish humankind, if God did not punish that violation, He wouldn't be a just God. It would be against His character then he's not a God worth following, worth worshiping. Someone has got to pay for the penalty. But God being a loving God, when human fell into sin, he created a rescue plan. And that rescue plan involved what we today call as the great exchange. So 2 Corinthians says that God made Jesus, made him who had no sin to become sin for us, for human, 
So that's the exchange there happening. So that in him, we might become, the human might become the righteousness of God. What it means is that through Jesus' death, justice then be served. So under the old covenant, the sacrificial blood was required in the animal. We read that in the Old Testament. But in the new covenant, a single, perfect, once for all, shedding of a blood is also required. So therefore it was necessary for the Savior to sacrifice his blood. And of course, if you think about it, a blood sacrifice requires a body, a flesh, and a blood. So in order for Christ to sacrifice himself and die in our place, he needs to be born first. He needs to take on a physical body. He first had to physically die so he couldn't just die in spirit. He needed a body. So that's why the incarnation, God became flesh, is such an integral concept, is such a big deal, and quite frankly, this is exciting. Because without the incarnation, without God became flesh, Christ could not really die. Without the incarnation, the cross would not have existed. It would have been meaningless. And in the end, there would not have been forgiveness of sin. But as John said this morning, the good news for us this morning is that the word that Christ indeed became flesh and he did became ultimately the sacrifice. So that's the word became flesh. And John further on said that the world dwelt among us. So this is a very interesting choice of words, dwell. So we don't use, I don't use this word very often. If I say to you, next week, we're going to Atlanta. My family's going to Atlanta next week. And then we will dwell there for a few days. You would look at me in confusion. You would be like, this guy is a non-English speaker, right? Because <laughs> nobody say, I dwell in a place. So John could have easily stated and correctly said that the word stayed with us or live with us. But he didn't. He used the, the word Christ dwelled among us. So we needed some context here. What's going on here? So the context here, we have to go back to the Old Testament, book of Exodus. So in the book of Exodus, we understood that God told his people to construct a place, a tent. As they traveled in the desert, God told them, go build a tent. So the purpose for this tent is so that they could meet God 
for worship, to offer, you know, to offer prayers, to offer sacrifice. So this setup, this tent, called the tabernacle. So this tabernacle essentially was a portable temple. So this is, you know, this was where heaven and earth overlap. So this tabernacle is when God and human, they overlap. And this is very important. In this tabernacle, God manifested His presence on earth. So the word dwell that John used is the same exact word for that word, tabernacle. So the idea here communicates the fact that the incarnate word, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, tabernacle, or temple, or pitch a tent among us. So God, in Jesus, became the place where God's presence manifested. So Jesus was where heaven and earth once again overlap. God is in our midst. So I like how Eugene Peterson, he has his you know, Bible translation. It's called The Message. Some of you may be familiar. This is how he translated this word or this two sentence. The word became flesh and blood. And listen to this. And the word moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> so that is exactly the picture that you got in this word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. So now, if you take this passage in isolation, if you don't have any other context, the, the idea of, you know, God coming near to you, right, coming near to his people, and then, you know, kind of set his place, in our midst, you know, might seem, you know, strange or I think, I, I think I would have been very overwhelmed, right? Just the idea of God among us uh, or even downright scary for, for some of us. Uh, but here's, here's the interesting take, right? The truth is that the incarnation of Christ was not the first time God stepped in close to be with us. So we were told Right from the beginning, Genesis, in, in Genesis chapter 3, there was an interesting paragraph there stating that God walked with his creation, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. So God would often join Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. That's verse 8, Genesis 3, 8. So this is the picture of God just be with his creation, just be with Adam and Eve, enjoy their company. The idea of God just hang out with his creation. Genesis 17, God made a promise to Abraham, I will establish my covenant and such and such. And then in the end, God says, I want to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So again, a very personal covenant made to Abraham. Exodus 33, when the Lord would speak to Moses, the Lord speak 
face to face as one speaks to a friend, one speaks to a family. Jeremiah 30, God said, you will be my people and I will be your God. So over and over again, the picture that we got from the Old Testament is God is in the habit of hanging out with his people. But his people are often ignorant. An author put it this way. Throughout the history, every time humanity has tried to push God away through rebellion and sin, God has responded by taking another step closer, another step nearer, another step deeper into the mess of our world. And that's exactly how Jesus arrived. So Jesus became the ultimate fulfillment, the very act of God drawing near to his people. That's why we call Jesus, we call Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Son, full of grace and truth. And John continue on and says that the incarnation of Christ is also an act of grace from God. We read from verse 16, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God's closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So the phrase grace upon grace might be a little bit confusing here. So we need to go to the next verse because you notice there is a connector word in verse 17. The word there is for, for or because. So we should consider verse 17. In verse 17, John talks about the law that was given through Moses. So again, some context needed here. So again, we have to go back to Exodus. In that episode, uh, we understood that when God freed the people from the slavery in Egypt, in the wilderness, again, as they traveled, the law was given, right? That law was called in Hebrew word, the Torah. So what is that law? What is the law of Moses? The law reflected God's holy and unchanging character. So in that law, people knew God's intention, His goodness, and His mercy. That law, the law of Moses, was also designed to make people live a better life. So that's the civil aspect of the law. You know, the law consisted of regulation, you know, day-to-day -day life, marriage, divorce, property rights, crimes, and so on and so on. 
So in that sense, the law that was given to Moses, the law of Moses as a whole, in and itself, was a type of grace. It's a gift to his people so they can conduct their life. So that was the law was given through Moses in verse 17. Now we go back to verse 16. John says that we have received grace in place of grace already given. So other translation, your, your Bible may say grace upon grace. Uh, or, or another translation, which I think is a better translation, it says that grace instead of grace. So what, what it means is, there is grace that is ever newer and greater, a new and overflowing grace. While the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John is saying here that in Christ, the grace is once again demonstrated. Through Christ, God is once again showing His full character, His intention, His goodness, His mercy, His compassion and love towards broken and sinful people in a much more perfect way. And this grace is newer, is greater, because in verse 18, John says that through Christ, God himself is made known. So you may remember that when God revealed himself to Moses on the burning bush, right? Moses was not allowed to see God's face, right? So that's the reference that was made there. No one has ever seen God. God was not available to be seen. But through Christ, that changed now. Through Christ, God himself is made known. Jesus himself in his ministry, he said that he who has seen me has seen the Father. So Christ came down to earth to reveal God to his people, to reveal God to us. But he's more than just a reflection. He declared the Father and he pours his abundant grace in a perfect incarnate Christ, Son of God. So God draws near to his people and God pours overflowing grace to his people this morning. So let me close with a story from the island of Hawaii. So back in 1830s, leprosy spread through the native Hawaiian population causing panic, you know, a lot of chaos. So in response to growing concern, you know, of leprosy spreading into the island, 
the government, the local government, place patients, place lepers to be segregated in Kalau Papa. That is now become national his historic place. So Kalau Papa is an isolated peninsula in the island of Molokai. So you kind of get some pictures there. It's kind of way up in the in the corner there. So this was a perfect place for banishment because this location was separated by sea cliffs. You know, some of the tallest sea cliffs in the entire world can be found in this place. Big sea cliffs. And then the other side of the cliffs is the ocean. So people can't get in and get out. So supplies, so, so the lepers were placed there, supplies were provided, but no outsiders were allowed. No doctors, no nurses, no anything. The belief was that when the patients were placed there, eventually they'll be able to support themselves, right? They would start raising animals, they would start farming, fishing, and so on. But the reality was people died at a rapid rate because of the condition, very harsh condition there. Again, you know, against the backdrop of sea and ocean, uh, isolation, and of course because of the disease itself. So this leper colony literally was a place where people were dying. And then in 1874, a young Belgian priest, against all common sense, again conventional wisdom, he went to the island to volunteer. His name is Father Damien. So he lived in their midst. He lived in this island. Damien got close with the lepers, slept in their homes, shared his meals, shared cigars, Served the people, fed them, clothed them, bandaged their wounds, built homes, farm. He did everything. So he was loved by the people for the obvious reason. So in a very short time, he transformed this place, become a place to live rather than a place to die. But here's the most remarkable part of this story. So even though Damien did not have the disease, so he never had lepers, but he would consider himself as one of them. So when he spoke to the people, he would identify himself and he would be saying, we lepers. So here's the bad news, right? The bad news is whether you, are, you want to admit or not, we are all lepers. In this story, we are the lepers. We are needy, broken, helpless, weak. We have this disease we call sins. And apart from God, we could do nothing. But even worse, like the lepers, we are outcasts. 
So we live in that island. We have been banished. We are headed to a dead end. And we have been condemned to death. And then Christ bursts into the scene. The incarnate word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. So God drawing near to us, reaching out to us, 